off the ball. Andy Farrell was almost giddy. Yeah. At yeah. the late with he wants the wants everything yeah. thrown at them as much as possible. Like, this is per- I couldn't have planned this yes. better. This could happen. Maybe he did. Up. Subscribe to the rugby stream on the OTB Sports app now. Football on Off The Ball With Sky Watch Premier League, Women's Super League, Scottish Premiership and much more Live on Sky Sports And you're welcome back to Off The Ball Saturday here on News Talk John Duggan with you 3 to 5 This is Football Saturday Remember Football on Off The Ball brought to you by Sky Watch every live Premier League game this season on Sky Sports, BT Sports and Premier Sports We're streaming the conversation, listen across the country on News Talk But also watch us if you like on the digital and social channels for Off The Ball on YouTube, Facebook, the OTB Sports app and on Twitter. We're joined in studio by the League of Ireland legend Graham Gartland and on the line by the former Republic of Ireland striker David Connolly and the broadcaster and journalist Johnny Ward. Join the conversation now on our text number 53106 or on Twitter at Off The Ball. Who's going to win the World Cup now, folks? How bad were England last night? Have Argentina and Germany blown it? Does the success of Saudi Arabia and Japan and Iran mean we as a Republic of Ireland a support group should be less defeatist in our own uh, prospects. And do you think all of the stoppage time, people, is a good thing? You can text us 53106. Uh, Graham, how is the form? Yeah, good. How are you? Good, Graham. Are you enjoying the matches so far? I'm enjoying some of them. Some of them are like last night's game was a bit of a hard watch at times. Uh, other games can be difficult to watch, but it's the group stages. So you're hoping that it kicks off then when it comes to the knockout phase. Poland have just beaten Saudi Arabia 2-0. Robert Lewandowski getting the second goal, his first at a World Cup finals. Uh, Peter Zielinski with the other goal, Argentina against Mexico. In that group at seven, Argentina really need the win. Uh, in Group D earlier, it was um, Mitchell Duke for Australia scoring in the 1-0 victory over Tunisia. France and Denmark kick off at four o'clock. Graham, England last night. It seems to me that Gareth Southgate's philosophy is not to lose rather than going to win things. Is that something you'd agree with? Yeah, I, I thought they were unadventurous last night. Um, you're waiting for a spark. You're waiting for them to try something in the final third. Uh, didn't see it. Didn't see anybody try and take people on in 1v1 situations. Saka, I thought, was, was the one, uh, the Arsenal player. I thought he was excellent at times. He was the one that sparked them. But they just didn't probably give him the ball enough. And then... Very conservative, very slow moving the ball. I understand it's hot. I get that side of it. But the, the the one thing that probably I was a little bit taken aback was when he said, I thought I thought our centre-back Stones and Maguire controlled the game. And, and I actually was frustrated watching them. I didn't think they moved the ball quick enough. I thought they took extra touches when they did. It was a meet-and-drink performance from Harry Maguire heading the ball. And yeah, it was but a classic English centre-half performance. But in terms of being on the ball, Jay, they'd had a lot of ball, John. And I, I just wanted them to move the ball a little bit quicker. They were taking that extra touch. At one stage, he put his foot on it and rolled it back. And I thought... There's no need to do that. Just take touches, punch into midfield, get your midfielders on the ball quicker, and then they can obviously play around the corners and get their strikers on the ball quicker. And you want your good players on the ball as quick as you can, not your centre backs taking probably two or three touches. And that was a bit afterwards. I was like, I found that comment a bit strange from from Selke. I was a little bit perplexed by it. Um, and then obviously the. the you know, all the English media are jumping on, where's Foden, why haven't they got Phil Foden on? But it's players in 1v1 situations that you need on in a team that you're playing against are, are A, athletic, B, they're willing to run uh, with you as well. USA were willing to run with, with, with England all through the game. Uh, they were well set up, they were well organised, so you do need somebody that can beat players in 1v1 situations because then USA have to bring extra cover to that and that can free somebody up as well. And I just didn't think they'd done enough in, in, in moments like that in the game. David Connolly, hope you're there. Uh, how um, how can England go from? I know they beat the distracted around Team Six Two, but how can they go from that to what we saw last night? Yeah, good, good afternoon, guys. Um, look, I, I on paper, I know the the the, the 
uh, they beat Iran well, and they and they did. But I, I always thought the plain America touched on it before the game yesterday. You know, the two fullbacks for for the states are real flying machines, right? Anyone who's seen Anthony Robertson this season would have known that that you know he's in really good form. I thought he was outstanding for them, um, and you know I thought. For example, in the midfield, I thought they were so, so sharp. Musa was, I thought, outstanding for America. Um, so they, they they played very, very well. And I, I guess, you know, the nowhere near as uh, quick, didn't move the ball maybe as quickly as they could have done. Um, I agree in terms of um, what Graham's saying about you need players that are 1v1 dominant against sides like that. And, and then on the turnover, USA were a real threat. So... Um, Look, it's only second game in. I think, uh, you know, it's the usual sort of uh, reaction. However, you would say, I don't know, would you have, if you're the manager, right, you're playing every three days, some sides have kept a similar side. But that's probably because they've got 14 players or 12 players to choose from. You know, for England, you'd say the bench is, you know, you've got another 11 players on the bench who could do a job. Would you freshen it up for that second game? That might be, I don't know, that he might, maybe looks back on that he could have freshened it up. So I think the squad, you know, the squad is in, you know, say even when I was playing at Ireland for the World Cup, you know, the the starting 11 was really, really strong and Mick didn't want to mess with it. And I think that was right to do that. But, you know, I think England have got like another six players they could have brought in and still be pretty strong and and fresh enough for the last game. So I, I don't know. He might look back on that and say maybe he could have freshened it up. That would be the only thing. Should he against Wales? Because effectively they're true on the goal difference now, David. Uh, like, should we see yeah. Foden? Should we see even Trent Alexander-Arnold, even though Southgate's well, unlikely to pick him? Yeah, it's a good point because it, uh, you'd love to see those players, right? And um, especially when you have to go and make the game. Uh, you know, as I say, they've got sort of 20 players. And you, it's not as if there's only that 11 that can, that can perform. Obviously, the, the Trent can come in, Phil Foden could come in, uh, Jack Grealish could have started. You know, there's there's players all over. You know, Calvin Phillips maybe could have started. You know, there's there's options for them, right? And uh, uh, Callum Wilson. Mm. It, it, you know, the, the the issue with the tournament is that it, well, it's not an issue, but you're you, it's a fine balance if you're the manager with your starting team and changing it with the risk of performance levels. But it's less of a risk if you've got a 26-man squad as they have or whatever it is, 20-odd, you know, and and you feel that they're not capable. Surely any of those five, six players could have come in is going to give a similar performance level to the ones against Iran. So maybe, you, you, you know, that might be the one thing. Johnny, uh, how are you predicting England's World Cup is going to come to an end with the trophy in their hands or a lot sooner? Um. No, Jilly. I spoke to Kevin Deban on OTBAM yesterday. Um, I, I thought there was an overreaction to both of their games, really. There was an overreaction to the Iran game because, for me, Iran looked... I thought their players looked a bit frazzled in, in the context of all that they'd had to deal with going into the game. And I did wonder how Iran would actually even play against Wales. But I, I felt that England, in transition, they looked vulnerable with this system. They do look vulnerable. And they, it's almost like people forgot after the Iran game that they went into this tournament under a cloud form-wise... And I think in a, in, in a way, the performance last night, if say if um, Harry Kane had gotten that goal in the first half, which was a really nice move 
and England had gone on to win the game. There might be delusions of kind of quality among the English um, press and among the fans who eventually booed them off. I think this will give them a little bit of a reality check. As you mentioned, the Welsh game isn't... It's not that big of a deal. They can kind of maybe experiment a little bit. In terms of the performances of the teams we've seen so far, I'd say England are about fifth or sixth in terms of potential winners. I can't really see them win the game. Um, but I, I think the you know the, the game last night showed up that, again, they are, they're vulnerable in transition. They didn't look defensively solid to me. And as the lad said, their play was quite laborious. That system they play as well, it does allow a bit of overloading on the wings. It, they're very vulnerable to kind of proper um, attacking threats on the wings and uh, I just don't think they're all that good to be honest I think they're well behind miles behind what Brazil produced um, against Serbia Is he going to shake it up sad case you, you doubt that he is does he have to for them to have a chance of winning this thing I feel he does yeah I think he needs to get um, minutes into players because you're going to need them if they go late into the tournament Does he change the system in any way? Uh, it's weird because if if you go in like he put on he puts on Rashford as an outside right, which and Rashford normally plays off the left Man United. But if you're going to play Rashford off the right hand side, what happens is Trippier has to come in and play like an inside right because that that that's the space that's vacated. And who better to do that than as as David said, like a Trent Alexander Arnold that comes in and plays in that little pocket, and then he can be creative from that position. So again, putting players on that suit certain positions like if if you have a Grealish on the le- if you have a Grealish on the left Shaw needs to actually do more in terms of getting round them and being more of an attack an offensive threat as an overlapping fullback because you know Grealish is going to come inside and run and get onto his right foot Foden's different Foden can go inside their outside but they need more from the fullbacks if they are going to advance and you see that with it's it, we, does we the system touch- allow that Graham though do you know yeah, does the I system don't, allow you to take chances there it, it doesn't but you can you can't take chances if your two sit midfielders are able to control the tempo of your game both in terms of stopping transitions but also in terms of controlling the game when you're in possession of the ball and giving your team a tempo uh, the, the best player probably that we think of in the last 20 years in controlling the tempo of their team as a sit midfielder was Perlo but Perlo wasn't athletic, but he controlled what mm. Italy done with everything because he, he decided to open punch passes into his strikers, punch passes into his uh, wide players, and got them playing. And if they ever needed to slow the game down, it was him that done it. He wasn't defensively minded, but he was he wasn't athletic by any means. But he was able to control the tempo of games. And England have never had that that control. And the Carrick was probably the last one, but he didn't play enough. So that's to me to get these players into good positions. It's not about. Um, who plays it's about can they get these areas filled by, by better players and if they're inside left and inside right or their position in front of the uh, in front of the goal is taken up by creative players they might have a chance but that two sit midfielders need to be able to control the tempo of the game and, and stop transitions like what Johnny said David what does Southgate need to do differently do you think if England are going to go really deep into the competition yeah, good question. I mean, I don't know. I, you know, I don't think there's going to be anything, um, you know, vastly different as much as people might might want there to be. I mean, I looked at Spain, right? And you think, right, Spain, I know they had a big victory. They know they're going to dominate the ball and they play Rodri as a centre-back. You know, the, the, like outside of the box type thinking. I don't know if there's going to be anything like that. I can't. I can't really see it. Um, you know, I think he's going to stick by Raheem because Raheem Sterling's always done well for him. I think yeah. he's loyal to those players, right? Now there'll be there'll be an influence because obviously people ask him about Phil Foden not playing, 
like you know why couldn't Phil? Well, this is interesting because just because Phil Foden hasn't played down through the middle for Man City, say as a number ten. I mean, he says that right. I've I've commentated on Phil playing as a striker against Brighton. Um, he played as a striker in one other game I worked on. Now, obviously, he's not a striker, right? But at the time, Man City didn't have a striker. But Pep played him as a central striker. You know, like he played Jack Grealish as a central striker. You know, that outside of the box thinking, you're not going to get that, are you, from from Gareth Southgate? I'm not saying to to play him as a as a striker. Obviously, what I'm saying is. I'm sure he could play in a number 10 position if you have a two holding midfield players and three across ahead of that. He certainly could. Yeah. But he said, that, he said that he didn't want to play him there because he hasn't played there for Man City. Yeah, but Man well, City don't play that system, David. That's, no, you know it, what I mean? Yeah, yeah but, but he has played centrally, though. Yeah, exactly. But yeah. again, it's yeah. like... But, and he came through as a central midfielder as a kid. That was what he, he was... That was his yeah. position all the way through as a youth player was down the middle of the pitch, like... Yeah, exactly. So that I I don't buy that. You know, it doesn't that doesn't quite add up. And also, just because he hasn't played there for his club doesn't mean you as a a national team manager can't can't play him there. My example being, you know, I know Rodri played it. He played it back for the Spain the other day. You know, I think he might have played there once or twice for Man City. But the point being, you know, in a, in a knockout tournament, right? You, you you know, you need to sometimes be thinking outside the box to get the most from your players it, with what you see in front of you. You know, you can't prep. The best managers can work out what to do as the game evolves, you know. And so that will be the challenge for, for Southgate, the, the further they go. Can he evolve and do? And has he got any thinking that's a, a little bit different, that's outside the box? We'll have to wait and see. I, I'm not sure. I think he's pretty rigid in his thinking. But, you know, look, he's uh, it's got him to the semifinals before, so you never know. The Milos has just won the Carl Gold Cup, formerly known as the Hennessy Gold Cup at Newbury, beating Remastered. So that's the big race of the day. Dan Skelton trains. Harry Skelton rode the horse 9-2 favourite. Le Milos, Johnny, don't know if you were on that one, but uh, Johnny Wales, uh, I think it's going to be a spluttering halt and an exit from the group stage for them. They were ragged yesterday. They were, JD. Yeah, unfortunately, didn't have the winner you, you mentioned there. Wowed by Constitution Hill in the fight in fifth. I didn't no see that. Was he good? Ah, oh, he's he's in the odds on now for the um for the champion hurdle in places. And um, JD's prediction pre World Cup that Brazil were the team to lump on, and Richarlison was a shout for top scorer. I mean, that came to light the other night. As for Wales. Um, I watched them in both games against the USA. I thought, you know, the second half, they huffed and they puffed and they got a result. But they're an ordinary side. Um, and obviously, the I, I think it was one of the seismic events of the World Cup yesterday. I, I nearly prefer just to talk about Iran because I, 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 I thought this was just, this completely uh, went way beyond sport and the, the complexities of how Iran sung the national anthem. For me, I was... I'm a national anthems um, kind of weirdo in terms of I, I know a lot of national anthems and I find them interesting. But for the Iranian national anthem, they did not sing it in the opening game against England. I thought I thought the players' body language was was really difficult. Yesterday against Wales, they kind of it looked like they sang it as a sort of a, a form of uh, almost counter protest and that they sang it without any passion. But the passion that they showed in beating Wales and what it meant to those players at the end. And you have to remember, this is a World Cup in the Middle East. It means an awful lot to these people, even if it's in Qatar. All these Iranian fans, you heard the Saudi fans today and the noise that they made. And, you know, I was getting texts from fans in Iran that, you know, people were out on the streets in Tehran. 
this is at a time when the regime has probably been under under almost as much pressure as it's been under since 1979 in the revolution. Um, and how the World Cup, um, you know, heroics of the team yesterday will will change that is hard to call. Maybe it'll galvanise the people further, or maybe it'll make them forget about their troubles. And I thought it was amazing stuff. Dan McDonald was obviously um, at the game. He wrote about it today. I think he was very moved by it as well. And um, you know, I don't think Wales will be a great loss to tournament. It's, it's a little bit sad to see you know Gareth Bale the the way that he's playing at the moment and the kind of the, the dying embers of, of his um, sort of faltering career. But that's that's how it is. And uh, I imagine England will beat them comfortably. Rujba Shejmi, an absolute thunderbolt, wasn't it? An injury time from 20 yards out. Uh, so it means that Iran, a draw against the USA will be enough for them, it seems. And uh, with the goal difference against Wales. Uh, um, yeah, like it's, it's fascinating. Uh, does it give us hope, Graham Gartland, that we can be qualifying for these tournaments again? If you're seeing Saudi Arabia winning and playing well against Poland today, even though they did, they did lose 2-0, and you see Japan, the way they finished against the Germans and win that game, yeah. and now uh, Iran winning, does it give us a bit more hope yeah. that international football, actually you don't have to be a Germany or a Spain or a Brazil to be automatically in these tournaments? It's double-edged sword. It gives us hope, but we're not there. That's the bit. That's the disappointing thing that... You know, if all these teams are there and we're saying that they're probably not great, but we're not there ourselves, that, that, that's the frustrating thing where you look at these teams and you think we're a better football nation than them, but when are not at the World Cup. So looking at it from that point of view, it's a difficult one because, uh, as, as David said, like going back to he's played in the World Cup and how that gripped the nation in, in 02 was fantastic. And to sit there and I'm sitting with my two boys who are at an age and they're not getting to see Ireland play in a World Cup you know after what like I grew up with the 1990 World Cup and the 94 World Cup and how that inspired us to play football and be want to be footballers because that was the stage you wanted to play on so it is but in fairness if we can just get I go back to if we can just get our infrastructure right in this country I think we, we can do it like because you see what other nations are able to do when they put proper football and structures in place in the country and then the players do come through um, Wales even done it a little bit and they got their players through Gareth Bale Ramsey and all them they came through I think Gareth Bale came out of the Bath um, Academy that Southampton had they have one in Bristol um, Bath University so he came out of that one and then eventually he moved to Southampton at 14 so again if we can put them things in place in this country and make sure we produce players because we can't rely on the UK to do it from 16 to 18 anymore so we have to do it ourselves so we really need to look after ourselves and take ownership of making sure that we qualify for tournaments it's on us it's on the us as a nation in terms of the FAI and us as a government to make sure that we're part of these tournaments going forward With Mark Hinsel on the panel last week David Connolly talking about how we're kind of illuminated his life being at that World Cup and playing those games and for you, I'm sure it's uh, it's coming to your forefront of your mind now, 20 years on, that you were there and you were part of a team that actually got a bit of momentum and was yeah. obviously always unfortunate and any team loses on penalties as he did to Spain. Yeah, I mean, what I would say is that the the two the two tournaments we missed out on via the playoffs were, I think, <laughs> probably harder to take because for the World Cup, you know, for for well for both of one on one on away goals, um, one by the odd goal. We ended up in a playoff conceding, I think, in the last seconds uh, against Macedonia. Um, so to actually get to a tournament seemed like the hardest part, you know. And then once you're there, I think, you know, with the players that we had at that time, um, I, I think the, the challenge is, uh, like Graham has touched on, and I've said this before, you know, I got a message the other day from the Welsh FA 
um, looking for players who have Welsh heritage who are 12 years old. Yeah. Now, I haven't had that from Ireland. But then people say, well, you know, then the you know, Ireland, you know, need to focus on the players in, in Ireland. Okay, that's fine. I understand that. But, you know, there's some players that you might be able to get in your system at a young age who would maybe look somewhere else. But it, that needs resources. And it also needs a, a will to go and do that, you know, to to go and find these players and, and dig them out and get them and get them in, in the system, you know, and get them playing for you, whether they're at, you know, Ireland under-15s, under-16s, can they stay in? Now, I know if you've, you know, the, the two obvious ones, obviously, as Roy Keane was talking about until the other day, you know, your Grealish and your Declan Rice and stuff, I know that. You you might lose some, but you also might keep some, you know. So, look, what, I'm not saying what, what Wales are doing, looking for 12-year-olds in England who've got Welsh ancestry or Welsh parentage or whatever is the right thing to do. But it certainly, it looks like they're trying. Yeah, they're proactive. Yeah, they're proactive. And they're trying to harness maybe the what they've achieved in terms of reaching a tournament, right? Because reaching it is one thing. And then when you're there, it's a separate issue. But, you know, getting the kids in the system, you know, because then you might, even if they don't have a certain loyalty to you or you think they might be playing the system just to play for you as a country, okay, who really cares at that moment in time? Just get them in the system, you know, look after them, see how they get on. And, you know, they might stick with you. Because in this World Cup, I mean, there was the lad who scored against, uh, he scored for Switzerland, didn't he? I'm yeah, sure. Yeah, against Cameroon. Braylon Bolo, yeah. Yeah, and Bolo. And, you know, there was uh, Musa the other night from, from uh, for the States. Um, you know, there's so many examples of, of in, in this World Cup. There was one that came on for Australia today, who I think he fled uh, Kenya, uh, yeah. well, Sudan, went to Kenya, uh, taken in by Australia in, in 2006, I think it was 11-year-old. Mabil came on as a sub today. You know, I don't really think it matters, you know, but I think you've got to spread that net as as far wide as you can so that, you know, Ireland are in these tournaments and they're using all the available resources. Now, are they using them wisely? Well, obviously not, if you look at history, right, with all the money that's just been wasted and the issues we've had with the FAI. But, you know... Hopefully now things are changing for the yeah. best, and they certainly should be cast in their net. Far but do, away. do more for even the player. Like we we had air fourteen say and our fifteens this season had between them we had say this is the Chamber Grovers yeah say eleven internationals. Probably seven of them could play for different nations. Like they're, they're second generation Irish, um, three of them African sent, one of them's um, Polish. Uh, a few more are Polish on the older groups, a couple of Africans, and do more for them. Do more for them and help them to make sure that they stay in the Irish system because yeah. they're gonna. The other nations are gonna come for these. You know, Nigeria are gonna come for some of them. Poland are already sniffing around some of them. Do more for them. It can happen because Jamal Musiala could have played yeah. for England, for example. Do, Ethan Ampadu could have played for Ireland. Yeah, believe. exactly. Yeah. That's right. And then he could have played for England and he chose Wales. But do more for them when they're in this system to make sure that they're looked after. And what can we do and invest in the player? Don't, you don't need to invest in all these coaches and, and like again I'm a coach but you invest in coaches to a certain extent but invest in the player what does that player need to make sure that he comes through to play under 18s for Ireland to play under 21s for Ireland invest in him how can we help with his education how can we help with his, his dietary needs and stuff like that but we just don't and again 
spread your he, David touched on it like finding players I know there's a couple of lads from Scotland who have Irish descent that are in um, some of the squads as well uh, ex-Celtic player his son there's a goalkeeper as well that's looking that's played for Scotland and played for Ireland but yeah cast your net wide as well but make sure that they're looked after to the point that they don't want to play for anyone else Yeah, they, they're getting they're getting the feeling that what it means to play for this country but they're also getting looked after that thinking that's where I want to play my football I constantly want to go and play for these I constantly want to go to these camps and make sure that if if the decision comes to it that's who, where who they're picking uh, Australia, Tunisia you were uh, on duty for that one earlier on David Connolly um, the Socceroos winning 1-0 do they have a chance against Denmark in the last game? Uh, I tell you what they do but um, if 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 uh if they kind of play, they're a side I think they're very reliant on the lads that are starting. They're starting eleven. You know, Mitchell Duke, the big sort of number nine. He reminded me of a, I don't know, a, a Quinney, a, a Cascarino. Um, you know, they played very direct, but he won an awful lot. As soon as he came off, I mean, you know, they they didn't really have any outball. You know, he was he was outstanding. Not just the goal, just in terms of how they played. What they did is they teased Tunisia. And they went, well, go on then, try and thread a pass. We're not going to press you. Try and thread a pass through the middle. We'll nick it. Then we'll break. And also then they played a lot of long balls. And nothing wrong with that. They played a lot of long balls, forced Tunisia back. And then for the goal, you know, Harry Suter, who I don't know if you know much about Harry Suter, but he's been out for a year. He did his ACL. Um, his brother sadly died of motor neurone disease um, only a few months ago. And he's had an awful lot to contend with. He was outstanding. But he played a lot of long balls that pushed Tunisia back. But then for the goal, he dropped one into the front after he'd pushed Tunisia back. And then, you know, it, it was just a really good team goal. And they gave themselves, they've given themselves an excellent chance. But they played, they played the occasion and 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 the sort of, uh, and the game and weren't uh, sucked into altering their style of play going for the victory. I don't know if that makes sense. So second game, you might think, right, we've got to win this. I'm going to play my ball players, I'm going to play, you know, I'm going to go for it from the get-go. No, they didn't do that at all. They never overplayed. They played deep into the other half and and they played kind of risk-free football to begin with and then grew into the game. And I, I, I thought it was really a um, sensible way to adopt the game, whereas Wales looked like they were in a panic to win the game from the first minute, whereas Australia were kind of in a similar situation. But looked pretty calm and composed about how they went about it. Leinster are leading Glasgow. I think they've just got another try there. We'll update you that on in that in a second. That's at the RDS. This is the United Rugby Championship. So Dave Carney got the first try and uh, the second try has just come now from Rob Russell. So 12, 14 points to nil. Leinster lead Glasgow. Ross Byrne adding the extras there in the RDS of the United Rugby Championship. Uh, Johnny... Um, we have uh, France against Denmark at four o'clock here. Just going through the teams. Uh, three changes in defence for the French. Uh, Jules Koundé playing out as a right-back. Rafael Varane, Man United defender and centre of defence. And uh, Theo Hernandez replacing his injured brother Lucas in defence. Uh, Mbappe starts. And then for Denmark, we also got four changes. Uh, so Mikkel Damsgo, Victor Nelson, Jasper Lindrum and Andres Cornelius come in. Thomas Delaney out of the whole tournament now with a knee problem. And Mbappe was something else, wasn't he? The other night, Johnny? was JD they, they they look um a team that kind of could possibly go all the way if 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 the cards fall a bit right for them just because um their their threat on the pace the threat on the break with with pace is so great and and Drew is almost like the perfect foil who doesn't have pace but will score goals that 
they uh, I think they have a chance I really do and you know they're, they're, they're probably if you look at England England might play better in games when, when they're subservient in terms of possession um, and England do have a bit of pace on the break as well but I think France will be better in that regard and Bakri was amazing um, you know the, the, as much as we give out about the World Cup there are so many um, narratives involved in it and Mbappe is one of them you just see what he's achieved at his age 23 um, already kind of you know th- what he's achieved at this point of his career and what he could go on to achieve and the way he played the other night was phenomenal. Um, I thought, to be fair, that their shape was good. I thought Kanate looked quite solid. Maybe, they, you know, they coughed up an early goal, but I thought um, Rabiot played really well. He's a flaky enough character, you'd have to say, but for France, he seems to have it all there. They're obviously missing Pogba. They look really good. I think this would be a good test for them. Denmark would be better than Australia, um, and uh, I, I think it'd be a fascinating game, but... I am narrowing it down, JD. Um, officially, it can only be officially. Won by, this is official it, now. It can, it can only be won by Spain, France, or Brazil. Um, and you might say, well, that's very, very obvious. But even if you put that together as a bet, I still think it's a little bit odds against. Um, I'm, I have to do my maths on that. But nobody else can win it. Am I wrong? So you've narrowed it down to three, basically. That's not very narrow. Like, like... <laughs> thirty-two I've narrowed it down here to three. Uh, I, I, yeah, but it's official. I, I, I think France have a chance. Um, I, I would. Uh, they're going to cough up chances, but that that just that pace they have and Mbappe. I think Giroud's going to get plenty of goals as well. He looks like a man on form, and um, yeah, I definitely give France a chance. It's um, it's interesting because for your could do your continuing learning with the licenses and stuff that we we were doing a course with the SFA and the, there was research into the the Euros, and France were one of the teams that didn't press. They were one of the teams that went into a medium block rather than a, a high mm. press. And one of the reasons that uh, the coach who was analysing it gave was because it saved energy, it saved Mbappe's energy for when they won the ball mm. back so that he could be more electric on the counter-attack. But it wasn't that they set deep and brought teams onto them. They defend, they did, like a medium block was like, they dropped off a little bit, not too much. They said, right, try and play through. It was similar to what they was talking about Australia. But once they won it back then, it was they, they, they sprang the likes of Mbappe, Dembele and these boys that had pace. But they had the energy then to just play in bursts. And with Giroud uh, staying centrally, he occupied the centre-backs. And we were talking about what England lacked in terms of 1v1s. When you get Mbappe in a 1v1, he's going he's gonna to rip you like because he's really good. So he has that pace that he could just rip by anybody. And, and that's what... It was interesting that France adopted that where most teams were talking about playing a full press. France went, no, we're going to play a medium block. And this year you can see similar in that they're, they're just dropping into a shape. They're saving Mbappe's energy for when they win the ball back and then they explode. And I agree a little bit. I think France, out of the European teams, France would be the one that I think have the firepower at them in Spain. Are you going to make a declaration like Johnny Ward? I'm going to narrow it down to uh, probably Brazil, Argentina, France and Spain. That's a little bit... You've won more team. (laughs) You've won more team. David Connolly, do you want to make a declaration here? Do you want to narrow down to six there, David? Well, yeah, I mean, uh, I'd I'd probably, do you know what, I'll I'll be controversial here and I'm going to rule Argentina out, um, whether that's controversial or not. I saw... I know it's only one game, first game. I saw so many flaws because I worked on that game and I, and like pre-game, looking at them in-game and then afterwards. saw so many flaws in their team that I thought, well, you know, uh, can they really win this World Cup? Um, I mean, they're a side that's not blessed with pace. You just spoke about France there. You know, you tell me an Argentina side 
who's got pace. It's quite astonishing. There's nobody in that starting team that has got any pace. Um, Di Maria is, is uh, you know, a player who is a top player. I mean, we're, we're critiquing, right, well, the yeah. World Cup here. So these are incredible players, right? But let's compare them to who they're up against, which is exactly what we're doing. Your France and players like that and your Spains or whatever. You know, Di Maria is not as quick as he used to be, right? And he's lacked an awful lot of football of late. He's on, he's on one side. Latoro Martinez is not quick. He was caught offside about 10 times. It looked like, you know, it looked like he just encountered offside. I mean, it was quite incredible, good defensive line. I mean, Lionel Messi, is, you know, he's quick, but he's not as quick, and he dropped very deep. Uh, Tagliafico, left back, not quick. I mean, it's a side that has uh, got a few flaws that, you know, came to the surface in one game. Now, they might be ironed out, but I, can't, I don't think you can put pace into a side that doesn't have it. I think Alvarez will probably start, and I think, I think he is a really good player, and I think that we're better with him in the team. But... Yeah, I, I thought Argentina were, were, were really, really disappointing. And, and I think they've got an awful long way to go. I know it's only one game and you can recover. I think there's only Spain that have done that, lost their first game and gone on to win the World Cup. I yeah, think. yeah, and West Germany yeah. in 1974. Yeah, Oof. but say, forget putting that to one side, just looking Christ. at the specifics of those players that they've got, Argentina, uh, compare them to, you know, they're not a particular ball possession team like a Spain. You know, they're not a counter-attacking or got the pace that a France has. So, yeah, I mean, um, look, they're incredible players, don't get me wrong, but I think they've got a couple of a couple of flaws. That, and, and also, he maybe selected the two centre-backs in the wrong positions because when he brought on um, Lotturo Martinez, he had to shift one across um, and, and, and take out Romero. And, and it was almost as if he just got his starting team wrong. And how costly maybe that would be. So they're better with, um, sorry, they're, they're better with Martinez, um, uh, Lissandra at the back when he came on in that left centre back role. But it meant sort of Otamendi then had to shift over to right centre back when Romero came off. So look, this is a World Cup, and Argentina are making mistakes on the biggest stage in their very first game. And I think the team that ended was a much better team than the one that started. But boy, is that a costly mistake! Really costly. Yeah, I got it wrong. Uh, West Germany lost the third game of the 1974 World Cup. They lost in the group stage, but they didn't lose the first game. But oh, here's the trivia question. Who did they lose to in the 1974 World Cup? They won the tournament. Who did West Germany lose to in the group stage? Didn't know there was group stages back then. Anybody? That was just a show. Quickly, anybody got the answer? No. Johnny? No. East Germany. Oh, well. There you go. See, they don't even yeah. exist. They don't even they exist do. anymore. We're going to take a break here on Off the Ball Saturday. Back after this, this Football Saturday. And you're welcome back to Off the Ball Saturday here on News Talk. John Duggan with you through to five this evening. This is Football Saturday. Remember, football and off the ball brought to you by Sky. Watch all the football you love, including the biggest Premier League games every weekend live on Sky. We're joined in studio by the League of Ireland legend Graham Gartland and on the line by the former Republic of Ireland forward David Connolly and the broadcaster and journalist Johnny Ward. Leinster, another try, 19 0 now against Glasgow. Rob Russell with a second of the game. So, do you think Argentina could struggle against Mexico tonight, David, given what you said before the break? Um, I, I Look, I. I uh, yes and no. I think if he if he if he starts the team that ended the game um, with you know Martinez and Otamendi, the two centre backs, Alvarez as as the wide man, I, I think they'll be a lot better. But I think they're not going to win the World Cup, or I don't. I'll be amazed if they reach the semi-finals. I mean, that's 
that considering they were second favourites and I hadn't lost in 36 games. But, you know, I am basing that off one 90-minute performance where they were, to me, showed, as I said, just a couple of flaws in there and weaknesses in their team. But, you know, other sides maybe don't have on their day. So um, I think they'll overcome Mexico, but I, I still think they're going to find it tough to to overcome maybe your Frances or your Spains of this world. So not as technical uh, in terms of possession, not a possession-based team, and they're not as quick on the counter as the likes of France. Yeah, we have Rugby Union going on today. I just mentioned the Leinster game there. Wales 20 points, Australia 6. So Wales having it easier than we did. And we also have Racing Lampresse has just won the rehearsal chase at Newcastle. And a bit of golf news as well. Leon Maguire is uh, going well in the Open to Spania. And Tom McKibben uh, finished 3 over today, leaving him in a tie for uh, 4 under uh, to fall back to 29th position. So Leon Maguire is playing at the Ladies Open to Spania. We'll come to that in a moment. Um, uh, we just got text in here in 53106. Uh, lads, fine and well treating young lads well at 18 and under 21 level. But how do you, though, prevent a Rice and Grealish happening again, says Marco. Uh, John, this World Cup is about high energy being used to bridge the skill gap between the so-called big teams and the underdog, says Michael in Dublin. Uh, seriously, I can't believe Ireland never approached Kane in his early years. Father from Galway, says Dermot. Well, we I don't know. I suppose Johnny wasn't on that one. Um, yeah, Johnny, why didn't you bring Harry Kane to Ireland? <laughs> yeah, I mean, Galway has made such an imprint on um, the Irish international team. What do we have? David Ford, Daryl Horgan. Um, I, I have to say, I found that debate really, really intriguing that the lads were having. Yeah, go on. Well... We went, we, we went from the team of 88 and 1990 to, you know, Jack getting two for the price of one when he's trying to pluck a player with uh, Irish heritage. Like, that's effectively gone now. The, the stats that Graham Gartland give you there are absolutely staggering. I mean, and the influence that, you know, immigrants have made in this country is just phenomenal. You go to a hospital now and it's like you, you, you see how important uh, newcomers are to this country. But the influence that kids have had, uh, so second generation Irish, as Graham says, I, I'd, be, I'd be more focusing on that challenge that Graham was alluding to, ensuring that these sort of homegrown players, Ireland under 17, JD, either, either last year or the year before, Ireland under 17 had three players from Albania. Like three Albanian, basically Irish-born Albanian kids are, are, are of Albanian heritage. So Rocco Vada, Kevin Zeffi and um, Justin Ferjoy. Uh, Albania is a tiny, tiny country and probably has very few, like, you know, Albanians in Ireland. And that just shows even Albania, like it's, our DNA has completely changed. And England, if when there was that book out, like, why do England lose? If, if we had a, a book out, why don't Ireland qualify anymore? The reason we're going to get better is, is partly and, and possibly even largely because we have all these kids now that Graham says, what did you say, Graham? Like seven out of 11 could play for the country. In, in, oh, we had seven internationals that were capped this year on the 15 level and four of them could play for different countries uh, then you look at the year above we had five and I'd say three of them could play for different countries so that's uh, yeah seven out of eleven yeah um, I.K. Ozari was another one that played a year up he played he's an under 16 international but he played under 17 and again his father Mark is from Nigeria um, so we've got a lad that got capped this year uh, he has an issue with his passport to trying to get him sorted but he was born in Italy he, he's of African descent and I'm looking thinking Italy are going to come looking for this boy like 
you know. And I think even even like the thing like it's funny even Evan Ferguson like his mother yeah. is English, right? So, yeah. but the the thing is, and 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 this is really at the heart of it when you look at other nations, JD, and what it means to them. We have Gaelic football, we have hurling, we have rugby, but it, it's probably more so the second generation Irish are far more inclined to play football than any other sport, if that makes sense. And I think that's partly the reason. But it's a fascinating, fascinating time for football, and we're going to be far better for it. Uh, five three one zero six. Um, Man United are going to be the richest club in the world. They deserve it with one point two billion fans worldwide. They're going to be unstoppable, says Patton Waterford. Does he know who's buying it? I wonder. Um, hi lads, I know it's early in this World Cup, but why is Messi so poor in World Cups? No real zip to his play, says Sean. There is a f- suspicion that he's injured or he's got some kind of injury at the moment. And to be fair, Sean, in twenty fourteen, he did single handedly almost bring Argentina to the final uh, when they lost to Germany in extra time. Um, Brazil, Graham, discuss. Yeah, ne- Neymar, like Neymar's out of the rest of the group stage. Is it in a way? Does that could that free them up? Because Neymar, I know he got fouled, fouled nine times here tonight, but uh, he does take a lot of energy out of the team in ways. Yeah, and and, and sometimes they can carry him a little bit uh, without the ball, but with the ball, he he he, he, he can spark them. Um, it's interesting because I was listening to they were discussing Brazil on the way in, and that they're, they're not as reliant on them as they were probably going back to Russia in, in twenty eighteen. No, not, definitely not. They, yeah, and they've changed their, their team, and they've made them, and he feels that they're not reliant on them, and the pressure's off him a little bit, and um, it frees up other players. But I, like again, I thought they were really good. I thought the second half when they when they wanted to turn the screw, they did, and you, and they had. Rickarlson's goal um, is brilliant. It's it's one of the moments that you, you you get off your couch. And I was sitting on it with me two boys, and they had Brazil jerseys on, and they were cheering it as well. Were you doing the overhead in the couch in the living oh, room? Me, me two boys tried it as well on the on the floor. So it just shows you the influence it has yeah, on them. Like it's, it's massive. And it, it, I watched the replay about a thousand times because um, I've got, I've, I've, I don't think he means the first touch now. I, I think it's it, just it, the it's just, it just happens in the blink of an eye. Yeah. That's that's what really amazed me about it. It just like it's it's in the net before you even. Yeah, the power he gets on it and the improvisation he takes after, I think. like That's I said, such yeah. an instinctive. That is Samba soccer stuff. Yeah. That's from the Copa Cabana. He, he reacts to the fact he probably takes a touch that he doesn't want to take and then he just swivels on it. And be, like you said, the power he generates on it. And in fairness, my wife jumped up because her, her mother is actually in Brazil at the moment. They were at a, a, a big festival and they sent a video and they're all just going ballistic and then the music kicks off and they just dance and then the other it's goal, only a group game yeah and then the other goal goes in and it's the same and it's a proper Ashford's carnival you have to, it's, they're the obsessed over that and they're just they don't listen to the commentary they just have the like do you know the music that was in the airport ad you know that yeah, yeah, yeah. on yeah, in the background yeah, yeah. constantly and they're all just dancing. Yeah, I think and we're all in the wrong place, aren't yeah, we? Yeah, I know. Honest. And I'm I'm looking and our mum's up, da- the mother-in-law is still dancing at her age. I'm thinking, fair play to her. And um, yeah, it was great. And then my boys, again, they're, they're jumping around trying overhead kicks and it's that influence they have on them. But they, they were really good. Like, like again, they, they have control of the game, but they have players then that individually can hurt you as well at vital times. Um, I think that goalkeeper situation I think they're the best two goalkeepers in the tournament okay. I think I worry about France's goalkeeper for touching on that but uh, yeah I thought, they were, I thought they were really good Graham Gartland here with David Connolly and Johnny Ward 53106 for your text number uh, to get in touch with the show between 4 and 5 folks Richarlison that was pretty special wasn't it the other night but what is your favourite World Cup goal what was the best World Cup goal you've ever seen to me it's obvious it's Maradona against England in 86 the second goal but you might have a different candidate 53106 Texas your favourite World Cup goal we're going to chat after the news on Football Saturday here on Off the Ball on News Talk. 
Andrew, welcome back to Off the Ball Saturday here on News Talk. John, looking with you three to five this evening. This is Football Saturday. Remember, football and off the ball brought to you by Sky. Watch every live Premier League game this season on Sky Sports, BT Sports, and Premier Sports. You can text us five three one zero six. Tweet us at Off the Ball. We're streaming as well. You can listen on your radio across the country on News Talk, but also watch us if you prefer on the digital and social channels for OTB Sports app, for Periscope and Twitter, for YouTube, for Facebook. And we're joined in studio by the League of Ireland legend Graham Gartland, and on the line by the former Republic of Ireland striker David Connolly and the broadcaster and journalist. Johnny Ward, we were asking listeners out there for their favourite goal from a World Cup after a Charleston's wonderful overhead kick during the week for Brazil. Uh, Steve was in touch. David Platt versus Belgium, 1990, last kick of the game. Ball drops over the shoulder. The type of game England usually lost on penalties. Graham Garton, do you have any candidates? Maradona is the obvious uh, yeah, one in 86. But. I loved, do you know what? I loved Roberto Baggio's goal against Czechoslovakia in the 1990 World Cup because there wasn't many top goals and that was a really dull World Cup but Kevin Sheedy's goal against England was fantastic. But just memories of, like, they were my my generation of, of goals where the 94 one, I remembered Romario scored a cracker on a half volley. A little uh, comes in, I think it was against Sweden, where he just controlled a little half volley into the bottom corner, and I thought his technique on it was fantastic. And then you go into the... Uh, Stoichkov scored on his left foot against Mexico and that. I remember just being obsessed with Stoichkov and Romario at the time because they, had, I think they had just destroyed United in the Champions League as right. well. You remember? Yeah, it was a 4-0, wasn't yeah, it? Was, and yeah, and they were fantastic. But Stoichkov hit one front post uh, and uh, Campos was in goal for Mexico. And just them memories of just growing up, seeing players do things that you could only dream of. They're, they're the reasons you, you wanted to play football. Like, you know? uh, 5-3-1-0-6, next best goal. Uh, after Maradona's got to be Bergkamp versus Argentina 1998 technical perfection last minutes of a quarter final against a mean defence and the sunshine of Marseille a beautiful goal says Brendan in Dublin and Thomas and Saligo Robbie Keane versus Germany remember trying to recreate it in the schoolyard after watching it in school (laughs) what would yours have been David when you were like you would have grown up watching the 90 Mm. World Cup like me or the 94 no I think the first one was was, um, 86 that was the the first one for me um and and it's the the obvious one, right? That obviously Maradona would be would be. Um, I, look, Dennis Bergkamp's one against Argentina was outstanding. Yeah. Michael Owen's one. Yeah, that's right. Also, that was a that was a brilliant goal. Um, but it was the '86 World Cup for me, and, and obviously uh, uh, Maradona's goal. Which, interestingly, I actually um, saw went to see Maradona's shirt. It was auctioned recently. That's right by Steve yeah. Hodge. Like, no, I played with Steve, right? Right. Steve came to Watford, and um, obviously he, you know, he did very well swapping their shirt because I'm sure at the time he probably had no idea, or maybe he did have an idea because he kept onto it for an awful long time. But yeah, I think eventually it sold for for seven million. But I I didn't intend to go and see it, but I was just walking past where it was on show, and um, I went in and, and and actually had a look at it, and then a few days later it. But a few of the England players had refused to swap, I think. They'd walk by him and not ask because of the handball incident. Well, Peter Reid had mentioned it. Yeah, I mean, and also, I don't know if you heard the other day, but this this will happen, right, where I think Australia, a few of the lads tried to swap and they gave their, their shirts to the kit man and the kit man went into the France uh, dressing room and apparently Mbappe <laughs> so I said no. So you know, kit man came back still with the Aussie shirts. And oh, was like, no. well, I'm sorry, I'm sorry <laughs> but I tried. Well, everybody now is um, wise to it, you see. Yeah, exactly. But um, yeah, so, uh, but, but for me, it's, yeah, it would be, it would be Maradona. Um, 
you know, certainly when he I scored was five goals and got five assists in that tournament. Well, the, yeah. the most important thing was the assist for Burishag in the final oh, because Matthias marked him out of the game. Yeah, it was what, the goal against Belgium as well. Yeah, yeah the balance where so you yeah. never fell down. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, it was yeah, but uh, like the goals that you remember, they're they're the one like you 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 got the Panini book and well, like, this is the know, inner child in all yeah. of us. That's why I think a lot of us are upset about the whole um, way this has unfolded in Qatar because it's juxtaposed with uh, the way we should feel about World Cups and measuring our lives in World Cups. By the way, have you seen Steve Hodge recently? Uh, David, he's not going around in a Ferrari or anything. Is he? Uh, I, yeah. I, I, I saw him. At, I think I saw him at a game. He was working at a game. Um, it was, you know, what it was. I think it was. Uh, it was. A, I, I can't remember the game, but it was working for for radio or or for TV. Um, but yeah, I didn't. I didn't see a helicopter land, but maybe it did. <laughs> I'm, I'm, so, I'm surprised. I'm surprised. Um, He's still he's still going out working after that, but yeah, there we go. Yeah, another um, texture there, David Dublin Burkham against Argentina and France. And hi guys, the best World Cup goal, David Leary's penalty against Romania to put us into the quarterfinals is Gavin, the Donegal man in Cork. Well, fair play, Gavin. I suppose the one we've all forgotten, isn't it? Johnny Ward, do you have anything there? Uh, I'll give four goals. No, all involving, officially all involving, all involving. <laughs> we'll narrow it down to four goals. After after saying, you know what I think, and here's a wild one. I think the the, the favorites, second favorites, or third favorites will win the World Cup. But the four the four goals I give all involve Argentina. I can't remember Maradona in uh, in 1990. I do remember Scalacci, and I remember being heartbroken. But this is going to be a strange one. Maradona's goal against Greece in '94. Um, when he shouts into the Greece, camera. The reason, and we, I suppose you remember the goal as much for the, you know, the, the celebration afterwards. But that, for me, the emotion of seeing Maradona come back, uh, and so I would have been 11 years of age at the time, and Maradona, see, it was almost like Maradona is back. This is going to be amazing. Now, obviously, it wasn't amazing at all, and he subsequently failed a drug test. But that that goal for me at the time was like, because I don't really remember 1990, was amazing. Um, Maxi Rodriguez's half volley um, that was against Mexico. That goal was unbelievable watching live at the time. Dennis Bergkamp's goal that we already mentioned, and uh, the final one I'm going to give is actually Pavard's goal. Uh, he's not playing today, I think, but Pavard's goal against Argentina was an utterly sensational goal as well. I think just on the goal that um, Richardson got the other night, I was in. Um, I'll have to ask Graham this now. Maybe Graham is going to book the trend here. He's going to. There's going to be like somebody with Brazilian heritage because we've a hell of a lot of Brazilians in Ireland, but we don't seem to have many Brazilian. Um, second generation footballers but the other night JD I was in Turles at the races I came back and I dropped into the circular bar in Rialto on the way back and every seat was pre-booked at about six o'clock and I like literally couldn't get a seat and I was like I just said to the barman, what is this? And he said, the whole place has been booked out by Brazilians, right? So I was like, okay, that I, I've had a long day. I'm actually going to have a quiet pint. So I went on to the bird planning instead of the problem, Rialto. And there was a guy at the bar and he was watching the game, uh, the Brazil game and in, in the first half. And he was, kind of, he was kind of giving out. And one of the lines was he said, there's no mystery in the World Cup anymore. When I was younger, you didn't know the players. Now you know all the players. But for me, that Brazil performance was so utterly amazing and I don't see Brazil play very often 
it did bring back the inner child in me to see how good this Brazil team could be. I thought they were amazing, and Richardson's goal must have, you know, prompted so Johnny, many how don't, how don't you remember the ninety? Like I was, I was eighty three. I was born eighty three. How don't you remember the nineteen ninety World Cup? Like I couldn't, I was, like I was seven. I remember. So was I. But I yeah, I, I remember Scalacci and I kind of remember the Romania game, but I don't remember. Um, I don't remember much of Maradona for some reason. I remember, I remember Maradona because Brazil, he'd, Brazil had batted Argentina in the quarterfinal, and, and Maradona broke in the last minute and ran through when he played Canigia through on goal. I remember being up for Brazil and being heartbroken that Brazil had been knocked out because Brazil were really good in, in 1990. But Maradona just again just takes the game, takes the ball, runs at them. Canizia makes an unbelievable run. He slips him through. But yeah, I remember like Sheedy's goal. I remember Packy Bonner kicking the ball long. I remember Hullet scored a great one too against Ireland. How don't you? Like that was that was what started it all off, really. Like you know. But I'm sure Johnny then maybe '94 is very vivid for you. Oh yeah, and um, you know that that the, in fairness, the, the victory over Italy was uh, this this. This fact that you dare to dream, because I was, as as I kind of alluded to there, 1990, I was a little bit too young. I was fully grown, infatuated with football by 1994. And I remember the devastation of, the devastation of the Dutch game and just the goals we gave away and thinking. And funny enough, JD, I mean, we were getting to World Cups. Well, we were the only team in the British Isles at that World Cup, weren't we? So it was like... We, we felt it was like a matter of course now. We're going to get to World Cups, you know, regularly. And now it just seems like um, that was that was just an amazing time. But, yeah, I, I just remember the the, the the absolute euphoria of Ray Houghton's goal. And then the whole thing kind of dissipating, the terrible game against Norway, the heat against um, the heat in the Mexico game, and just the, the, the sheer deflation um, of that game against uh, the Netherlands. And I guess not realising at that time that that was the beginning of the end for the Jack Charlton era. David, see the way like you've, you're obviously of Irish descent, you have Irish family in the UK. What was your family like around Ireland World Cup in 1994 as somebody living in the UK? Because um, obviously you, we, we're, we're in Ireland, we're right behind it, but what was it like for the Irish people living in the UK considering, as Johnny said, England didn't qualify? Yeah, I mean, geez, that was a long time ago. But in in those days, in my, in my in my household, um, it was um, the, the World Cup was football was one thing. But my dad and my whole family were um, hurlers oh, and Gaelic footballers. So to be honest, every every weekend we were at a hurling. We were we were somewhere. We were at a ground somewhere. Uh, <clears throat> now I wouldn't be playing hurling. I'd be with the second generation kids playing football yeah you know but all the dads would be playing hurling or, or gaelic and and at that time that was all you know that was kind of my weekends were spent at gaa grounds all over the country or mostly in and around london you know that's that's how it was but i grew up in um in sort of uh, wilsden beside kilburn which was i think it was called like the next county outside ireland like county kilburn i mean you know at the end of the road, we had an Irish shop. You know, all the neighbours were Irish. Everyone went to the Irish pub or, you know, uh, after the game or, or hospital. Were Catholic clubs a big thing then? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, you know, that was, it was, every, all of your friends were Irish. Everybody was was Irish. It was That's how it was then, as it is now. Like, I've got two sons, an 11 and a 13-year-old. 
you know, who would you play for? I say to say to them if they were going to play football. One says England, one says Ireland. So, it, you know, for these sort of, they're now of the generation of growing up in England, but they haven't been going to Gaelic games. They haven't been, uh, I'd spend every holiday in Ireland. Yeah. I never went to another foreign country. I think I went to Spain once. I probably went to Ireland every year till I was 16. You know, that's how it was, right? But my kids now, like you're talking about lads who are from, you know, different Eastern European countries playing for Ireland. My kids now, they might have more of an affinity to the country where they were born more so than where their ancestry was, you know. So that's, yeah. like, that's have, the kind did, of... Did you have an option, David, to play for England or Ireland? Was it... Um, it is. It, I, I don't know. It wasn't. You know, if if I was watching um, football and TV, I'd be supporting Ireland. It was just the way it was. Yeah. I never. I never. It never even entered my head to. Uh, you know, to. It, it's different. I never had any other passport apart from an Irish passport. You know. It, it, yeah. Nowadays, that would be different, right? For my kids, it might be a bit different. Whereas when I was, I. Although I'd be like a lot of second generation born in this country, but I'd probably have, well, I did consider myself Irish to all intents and purposes because my whole life revolved around Ireland, to be honest, apart from I kind of lived in England, if that makes sense. Yeah, and people might not know, David, your late father, Tom, played for uh, the London Hurling team. And in 1973, they beat Galway in the All-Ireland Championship. Yeah, yeah that's right. And, and, you know, the irony of this is, right, staunchly Irish, my dad, but staunchly proud to play for London against Galway, where he was born and where he would, well, he wanted to be buried there, but he, in fact, he was buried in England. But, you know, next to my mum, who was also buried in England, although they're both Irish and, you know. But yeah, the, the Gaelic the Gaelic games was, was a massive part of our lives, of, of, my, of my father's life and our family's life, you know, completely dominated. Yeah. Um, a lot. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, that that was something else. I think they reached the minor final. They, 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 they you know, the one of the most decorated uh, hurling families, uh, brothers in uh, that's ever played for London. Uh, but let me tell you, when it came to it, fiercely competitive. No problem playing Galway, and we'll beat them. I think they lost to Limerick or whatever. Semi final, yeah, in in in, uh, in, a, in, in a semi final. So that it brings it back to this. There's been the ultimate sport. Ultimately, you know, it is it is about loyalty or whatever. But you're there. To, your will to win will kind of take over everything, right? And even where you're where you're born, maybe you 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 know, he, he had no problem beating Galway and would beat him, you know, every day of the week if it meant that that that's that's what you got to be to compete, right? So yeah, was that it, was interesting. It was the Brian Bruce Club in London. Yeah, Brian Bruce, yeah. And there were some great hurling clubs and Gaelic clubs in those days, you know. Uh, St. Gabriel's, and there's uh, there's so many to mention, you know. There were, uh, yeah, it was a huge, huge part. And there's a lot of second-generation lads that, um, you know, Peter Gain, I think he played for Lincoln in the end, but his dad was a, a, a hurler. Um, the, uh, Kevin Maha, who's now uh, obviously doing really well at South End, he'd be in and around. His old man would be playing Gaelic as well. Um, so there was a few, there's a few lads like that, you know. Great story, Johnny, isn't it? Yeah. Apart from yeah, being I mean, Galway, Johnny. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I have to say I wasn't actually aware of that. That's uh, definitely a quiz question um, on many levels. Conley, obviously, a name synonymous with Galway Hurling. Um, David touches on something there that's uh, on one level is, is a sign, I suppose, of the economic transformation of Ireland in recent years, but it's a little bit sad. And I, I, I witness this when I go to both 
uh, London and um, America. Like my father would tell me that, um, you know, he was born in 1943 and in the 50s, mid 50s, the late 50s, he would say literally the whole village, like two or three villages around us, all of the kids were gone. I mean, they, they were gone to England. They were gone to England to get work. And that's where, you know, a lot of them married. That's where a lot of them settled in the likes of Birmingham and Coventry and, and London, all that. Prior to that, um, my grandparents' generation would have gone over to the States, to New York. And it's great that, well, we could argue that a lot of today's kids actually do have to immigrate. But but in the sense of the economic success we've had, it's it's a little bit sad that that Irish, that London, the London Irish, the English Irish, the communities of the Irish over there are the same in, in America. It's kind of dying out. It's not a thing as much as it was anymore, where it was such a special, special community that the likes of Kevin Kilbane would have been brought up in and David Connolly would have been brought up in where the Irish sort of stuck together. They had their communities and there was a real uh, unique kind of, um, you know, identity over there. And I think both in Britain and in, I mean, certainly in New York, I would I would say with my cousins, it's just the one generation passes and it's just not really a thing anymore. Yeah, Andres Christensen there given a yellow card for pulling down Kylian Mbappe with France nil, Denmark nil after 20 minutes of the game in Qatar in the World Cup. Um, what did you make of Brazil the other night, David Connolly? Were you as impressed as Graham was? Um, well, yes and no. I mean, look, I think they're supremely talented. Um, I think uh, a lot of conjecture, right, about Richarlison, whether he should be the number nine. But if you'd have watched him in qualifying for the last couple of years. I mean, he's been banging the goals in for fun for Brazil. Um, so two great goals. I'd agree. I don't think he intended the first touch, the lefty, to pop up. Ideally, you'd want to kill that if you can. Um, but he's like a throwback, I think, Richarlison, because, you know, you, you were just talking about the, the, say, Brazil 94 team or whatever, 98 team. Um, a lot of their centre forwards and their goals would be would come in different ways. But with Richarlison, he can, he can, he can you know, He's aggressive. He can outmuscle you. He can beat you in the air. He can score um, like reaction type goals, like predatory penalty box stuff. He can also score elaborate goals. He can he can finish quickly. There's a lot to his game, which you know we haven't really seen in England as a central striker. But like you know, for Brazil, we uh, you know we said I'll tell you a quick uh, a quick if we. Sure. A quick st- story on that because I, I played not when I was in Holland. I used to, if I was injured or if I had, a, I had a, an issue with my insoles or my boots, I, I'd go and see someone in a different part of Holland, and he recorded you running, and you just saw the bottom of your legs on the video, and he'd say where you're going wrong and all this sort of stuff. But anyway, he had to rewind the tape, and when he, I said, "Oh, have a look at this this fella," so he pressed play, and you've never seen two legs, well. You know, bandy legs, bowed legs. I've never seen two legs like this, you know, running up and down. And he said, you know, any idea who that is? And I said, no idea. But, I mean, geez, you know, how could someone play football with them? He must need some pretty heavy insoles to sort them out, you know. And um, so the camera panned up and it was Romario, you know, and Romario played at PSV. Yeah. And so, like, you know, it's like, wow, that was Romario. Yeah, that was Romario. He's still, you know, in those days, 90, I don't know, whatever that was, 90, I don't know, late 90s, maybe early 2000s. He was still going back to Holland to to get these sorts of uh, insoles into his boots, you know. But but what a player. I mean, and, and I guess you associate Brazil with those greats. Is Richarlison a great like a Romario or a, or a, a Ronaldo? 
I don't know. But is the team as strong as other years? I'm not so sure. But I think they're probably going to be one of the favourites. I um, don't know if if I would have them as winning it. I've got to be honest. But I think they'll be like there or thereabouts. But I wouldn't have them as certain favourites, maybe. No, we- I wouldn't have them. I, I think maybe I might be going with one of the European teams. To Spain, France. Possibly, yeah, above, above Brazil. Uh, as impressive as they were, don't get me wrong. But um, I, I, what I do like, I love that they come to the, 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 you know, I guess with Ireland, right, we've grown up with, you know, Roy Keane being very stern, stony-faced, not a smile, and you think that's the way to win. And I quite like that Brazilians have a different way where they're playing the tambourine and they're singing and they're coming to a stadium and they can still be world champions. You know, I like that there's a, there's always a different way to do things that you don't have to have this fierce intensity like a, a Gary Neville in the tunnel, yeah. staring people, not smiling, you know, the intensity. I think it's great in football that there's always a different way to, to win. And, you know, I like that about the... That's why it's so cultural, isn't it? Like, you're bringing, you're yeah. bringing your culture to, to the World Cup. Yeah, exactly. And the, that's good, right? Yeah. There's, there's, well, there's, well, there's no one way. And I like that. I like that. And the apex of that was the 1982 team, which played the game as it should be played, but then they got beaten by a defensively-minded Italian team that had a brilliant striker catching fire in Paolo Rossi. So ah, yeah, there that, you go. That's one of those that used to be played on Eurosport. Remember on the replays all the time? Socrates scores an unbelievable goal down the side as well. Just... Yeah, I, yeah. The Danes are dishing out some treatment to the French here in this game, a second booking for um, for Denmark, Andreas Cornelius. It's uh, France nil, Denmark nil in the World Cup in Qatar, uh, pretty much even possession-wise after uh, 24 minutes of that game. Um, we have also Leona Maguire um, through 17 holes now, 12 under par at the Open to Spania on day three. She's only a shot off the lead um, held by uh, Morgan Metro of Switzerland. So Leona Maguire in the hunt there to win that tournament. Uh, Wales 20, Australia 13 is the latest score from the international that's been played this afternoon in Cardiff. Leinster 21, Glasgow 0 in the United Rugby Championship. Two tries for Rob Russell, the other for Dave Carney. That's what's going on there at the RDS. So lots of sport going on in terms of the racing. Constitution Hill was an easy winner of the fighting fifth hurdle. And... Um, we also had the big race at Newbury, formerly known as the Hennessy Gold Cup, but it's now called the Carl Gold Cup. And Lemilos, the 92 favourite, won that. So plenty of sport going on elsewhere. We've got Graham Gartland, David Connolly and Johnny Ward on Football Saturday. Between now and five, you get your text in here on 53106 just to go to the break with a couple of them. Loving the show as always, guys. Firstly, though, Ireland is not part of the British Isles. And secondly, as a second generation Irishman, I completely identify with David Connolly's experience having grown up near him in Alberton, Wembley and captain the London under-21s in Croke Park, says Eamon and Two Mile House. And I've watched every World Cup since 1970, Brazil 1782, magical teams. Brazil 82, still my favourite team of all time. Maradona goal versus England, the best goal ever, says a different Eamon on 53106. We're back after this. And welcome back to Off the Ball Saturday here on News Talk. John Duggan with you through to five. This is Football Saturday. Remember, football and off the ball brought to you by Skywatch. Every live Premier League game this season on Sky Sports, BT Sports, and Premier Sports. You can text us 53106. We're joined in studio by the League of Ireland legend, Graham Gartland, and on the line by the former Republic of Ireland striker, David Connolly, and the broadcaster and journalist, Johnny Ward. 53106 on the World Cup. Um, Cambiasso for Argentina versus Serbia in 2006, an amazing team goal. Or Marco Tardelli in a, for Italy in the 82 final, if only for the celebration alone. Great show again, lads, says James in Waterford. Thank you, James. We're asking uh, listeners their favourite goals at World Cups. 
Um, we also um, have uh, got to be Carlos Alberto versus Italy in the 70 final best team goal ever says Jerry another uh, texter saying that as well Tim and we have um, uh, lads what about Van Persie's diving header pure class says Matt uh, David Connolly Ronaldo is leaving Man United uh, he scored for Portugal the other day against Ghana wasn't the most complete performance but they've got a lot of talented players can they go far? Um yeah, look, yeah, they can. But, you know, they've got the players to do so. Um, whether they will or not, um, I don't know. I think I think they kind of got away with it, that result against Ghana. could have easily slipped away, ironically, if it wasn't for a slip. Um, but, you know, maybe they, 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 I don't know, if they'd have left Kudus on, maybe Ghana might have had more of a chance of, 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 of you know, getting something more out of the game. It's almost like, you know, he made the changes too early. But, um, yeah, look, I think it's a wonderful achievement for Ronaldo. Scoring in, in five World Cups is just incredible. Um, it's clear he had to leave United um, and probably could have been done a lot sooner. As it is, it, it's, it's done now. And, you know, I think both parties can can move on. You know, um, there were worrying moments for them towards the end. I don't know. Are they as strong as previous Portuguese sides? Um, yeah, they probably are. I mean, certainly the midfield and the top part of the pitch is really talented. You know, Bruno Fernandes, João Felix, obviously, Bernardo Silva, Ronaldo. I mean, they're, they're incredible players. Um, have they got enough to compete with the very best in this tournament? Not quite so sure. But... You know, you wouldn't rule them out, but I'm uh, I'm not quite so sure. It's unlucky for Ghana because I thought they came really, really close. Johnny, one of the interesting features of this World Cup is um, the amount of injury time. Uh, Sean Ingle in The Guardian was reporting earlier this week, and it hasn't stopped, that the average time of the first six games was 106 minutes and 12 seconds. I wonder, is this going to change how football uh, is played if this uh, continues into European leagues? It might do. It's funny how World Cups are often used as, um, you know, this kind of like guinea pig to try something new. I've never seen this before. And let's, you know, was it? Remember the golden goal back in the day, and they yeah, threw the silver goal. The silver goal. It's like, but why? Why are you trying trialing this at the World Cup? You're not trialing at two, some two bob like um, preseason tournament. And like, what was the first? Was it 24 minutes in the Iran game, the Iran-England um, game, I think, 24 minutes combined? And that was it. I mean, they may even have played more. Um, I have mixed feelings on it. I think it's too long, to be honest. Like, I think I, I think Graham might disagree with me on this. It's not, it's not so much the letter of the law. It's the fact that the actual game itself now is too long. Because, you, I mean, you're playing for... You're effectively playing for the guts of 105, 110 minutes, sometimes in a nil-all draw. Um, I have mixed feelings on it. Why, why would you think I'd disagree with you on that? Why, that was a random. <laughs> <laughs> I think Graham might disagree. And we've never had a conversation about injury time. I don't know where you got that I from. I think I may have mixed you up with someone else, Graham. Actually. <laughs> so, somebody was like, I guess it cuts out like the, if you're, if you're applying the letter of the law and throw-ins and free kicks and all that, but at the same time, like it's, well, sometimes now you're looking at nine minutes and you're like, do I actually want nine more minutes of this? I think when teams are starting to run down the clock and just be silly and, and, it, and they ruin, it can ruin the game when you have a team that's chasing, it can ruin the game. So if they know that, if it's a deterrent for that type of behaviour where 
teams are taking extra long over everything and then the ref goes right well here's 10 minutes at the end you know I might yeah. stop that but again you're right Johnny like why rolled it what, like no there was no dialogue on this before the World Cup it just happened said, yeah. I, I, I didn't expect this to happen yeah, it wasn't yeah. like they said listen if you start wasting time we're going to add her on here there was nothing it just happened it just arrived the first few games you're like uh, why are we into the 104th minute here what's going on and that's where I, I like you said the fact that they just landed on you in the in the group stages without any dialogue or discussion to say just watch out for it because if you are telling teams listen there's going to be added on pretty sure teams are going to hurry up the game and do it right and make sure yeah there's always going to be an element that they're going to hold on to the ball and they're going to take the time over things but if if again if it's to the point where it's ruining the game and they're adding it on great but again have a discussion about it before just throwing it in uh, France nil, Denmark nil, but France on Who top. Who scored the first golden goal ever? Was it Laurent Blanc? No. Was ever it, in the history? Was it the, uh, in the, of the World Cup or generally? Just in general. I, was, I didn't know even if it was outside World Cups. Go on. Damien Duff. Malaysia. All right. Oh, okay. Wow. Okay. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Very good, very good. There you go. Uh, 1997 under 20 championship. Um, David Connolly, the Germans, can they pull this out? They've got Spain tomorrow and Spain could put the stake in the heart of them if they win that yeah. game tomorrow night yeah I mean just on the extra time I'm a fan of it right why <laughs> I'm a fan of it. I, t- I tell you why because I think I think with VAR and the substitutions and all the stoppages in the game um, I think we have to I think you have to try and claw it back and I think Kalini did say or Kalina did say the referee did say before the tournament that they were going to try and and take into account all those stoppages. And I think if you are going to keep going to the screen for VAR, et cetera, and, uh, uh, I think you got to, right? Because if I'm playing at a World Cup, if I'm a player, and this might be my one and only time, or, you know, whatever it is, I'm a manager, whatever, I want to make sure that I get the amount of game time that I possibly can to get on that pitch. If I'm a sub, I want to get on. Uh, I don't want to lose five, six, seven minutes of it. Because, you know, they're not taking into account all the stoppages. And the games are only, I mean, I remember that I remember playing in games, right? And we get the data after a game, pro zone data. You know, against Stoke, the ball would be in play 38 minutes out of 90, <laughs> whatever it was, right? And that is factual. And then you play other teams, you know, very good teams, and the ball's in play, you know, 60 minutes or, or whatever. And that might be a surprise to some people. Yeah. At a 90-minute game, the ball is only in play that amount of time. Now, and all this stuff about looking after players. This is a World Cup. The players will be are well looked after anyway. And I'm sure they can stretch through another few minutes. And if they can't, well, you know, it's once every four years. I think this should be how it should be, to be honest. And I don't want to lose any time. If I'm playing a game and I can score a goal, I don't want to lose, I don't want to lose a couple of minutes of it because, ah, well, we can't have games that are 100 minutes or 110 minutes. Well, if there have been stoppages for that amount of time, why not? Uh, 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 that's what I think why not I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with that Kylian, I want to get that time back Kylian Mbappe just missed a really good chance to put France in front against Denmark in this uh, World Cup game Qatar goal at the moment Denmark drew their first game against if you're only joining us and you didn't know Poland beat Saudi Arabia 2-0 we got Argentina against Mexico at 7 the Germans uh, David can they pull this out and maybe get a result against Spain tomorrow night um, well, I, I, 
I'm not so sure. I mean, it's interesting. Luis Enrique said he's going to change. He's going to make some changes, right? After the, the you know, the seven nil, and you know, I don't think he said. I don't think I've ever repeated a lineup. I just like. Uh, I don't know if you've seen Luis Enrique, but he's a mad cyclist. Have you seen him? He's been out there with his top off. I mean, he looks like he could still play. Um, I, I really like him. Whether they win, lose, or whatever, I like what he's doing for Spain. Um, if he is going to change things up maybe Germany could get back into it, you know. Maybe they could, you know, maybe get a, a surprise, which you would say, a bit of a surprise result against them. But I think the cushion of Spain's seven-goal win and probably, you know, with the games that they've got after that, you'd probably say that they can, they could afford to do that. Um, I think Germany are under massive pressure. Massive pressure to try and get a result here. Maybe if it's a really changed Spanish side, they could do, but I'm not so sure they can. Uh, five three one six. He's wrong. Euro ninety six was decided by Golden Gold in the final of Germany. Yeah. No, but it's the first ever one. The one that when the the trial that Damien Duff was watching a, a clip of it, and his dad said he scored the first ever Golden Gold in Malaysia. Maybe a FIFA tournament. Um, Adar goal against Brazil uh, for Brazil USSR 1982 brilliant skill from Adar and a Brazilian team that played incredible football deserved to win a World Cup that year says Ronan in Kilkenny. Uh, Johnny Ward is also a keen cyclist like Luis Enrique. Mm. Uh, and, and Johnny, um, anything else that's catching your eye over the week? Uh, that, like the, maybe the coverage, the Roy Keynes, the the political situation, the any performances like Japan that, that have really excited you? What's what's catching your eye? And, and Well, I guess it's strange how football can do this to you where you're pining for the underdogs of Saudi Arabia who are playing uh, for a country that is far more um, dislikable than Qatar, you're actually pining for them to beat Argentina because that little part of you still wants the underdog to win. And that was a strange part of it. I think that got so much... um, I think it was called possibly the greatest World Cup upset of all time. Maybe that's true. I don't know. I think they were like 25 to 1. But to to be a goal down, um, you know, and all the VAR situations and all that. Um, I think for me, JD, you you spoke with this at the start, the inner child in you. It's that conflict between knowing what's so wrong about this World Cup. And for me, it's, it's not even so much the Qatari sort of human rights situation because no country is perfect. It's the fact that so much money has been spent on this, where I think the legacy of it will be nothing compared to the 214 billion or whatever that was spent in a country that is effectively made up of Indians and expats, and um, that is really, really small local population. That 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 was that's what like I think is the greatest waste here and how you know corrupt the whole thing is. But then to have that challenge by, as you mentioned, Japan. Uh, Saudi Arabia and and even I I really just think that Iranian victory over Wales if, if, if as much as there's so much going on there that really does tug at your heartstrings and that performance of Brazil to me the other night I'm just dying to see them play again if that makes sense I'm dying to see this Brazil team play I haven't seen any team with the the pace of movement that they have the smile on their face you know basically um, living to all the stereotypes of the old Brazilian teams. And ultimately hoping that England will fail and believing that they probably will. Yeah, it's uh, interesting because, um, you know, the the allegations of corruption, uh, it doesn't seem to be touching the radar of a lot of fans from like South America, from other countries, mm. from Asia. It's not even on their radar. It seems to be very much a, a focus of Western Europe and, you know, the associations coming out. 
uh, like the Germans, uh, you know, threatening legal action over the One Love armband and all that kind of thing. So there's, there's, there's an interesting geopolitical, the, the plates are shifting with uh, Infantino meeting MBS again at another World Cup, sitting beside him for the second World Cup in a row. Mm. Will Saudi Arabia win the 2030 bid, cleverly going in in a kind of a multi-association bid with different well, Europeans. Well, you know what I was thinking? Yeah, like, Greece and uh, Egypt. If you look at the Saudi fans and say the Iranian fans, and um, forget about Qatar, if you look at these, these like Iran is a football crazy country, right? The Middle East, it's a, it's a, it's a fantastic legacy for the Middle East uh, in theory to have a World Cup. But what country would you actually put it in and say, yeah, we can put it in? What country in the Middle East is even remotely ticks the boxes? And then you remember World Cups take place in the summer. So for the World Cup to take place in the Middle East, it would be very, very difficult for it to take place any other time other than basically now. And then you have to put it into a country that's not entirely reprehensible, not left with many options. Yeah, the, the, the grotesque thing for me of this whole thing, and uh, the, it's the cognitive dissonance and the fact that you can have many thoughts mm. and once you can have a thought that you're loving what Richarlison's done and you watch it 10, yeah. 20 times. But it, it, it's, it, it's it, like the armband thing is important and all that kind of thing. But it's the fact that this has been built on the deaths of human beings uh, building these stadiums and we're having enjoyment out of it. There's something very, very dark about that. Uh, that we're having enjoyment of a spectacle that's built on the uh, the, the, the deaths of human beings, 6,000 of them, according to human rights groups. There's something really, really bad about that, you know. So uh, Wales 34, Australia 13 in the rugby. Uh, Leinster have got that bonus point against uh, Glasgow in the ERC at the RDS. And the fourth try has come from the sub, Michael Milne. Uh, Leona Maguire has done so well in the last few weeks and uh, she shot a 70 today at the Open de España. Ahead of the final round, uh, she's 12 under par, two shots off the lead and a tie for second at the moment. France nil, Denmark nil uh, into stoppage time at the end of the first half. It was Tunisia nil, Australia one earlier on and uh, Poland two, Saudi Arabia nil. Um, in terms of uh, any other teams we haven't touched upon, uh, David Connolly, like we're, we're looking at what Morocco, Croatia, Belgium, any of these, like Canada, I, well, I don't think that's the, the strongest group. Holland. No, I mean, I don't know. Would You know, if you look at, say, Holland, you know, I mean, we touched on, say, earlier Ireland not being at the World Cup. You've got to remember, Italy aren't here, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. So getting there is the hardest thing. Probably Holland are getting a lot of criticism from, from in Holland. Deserved. Um, about, well... Maybe, yeah. I mean, look, Louis van Gaal is not really one to deviate away from on how he got him qualified, which he's sort of stuck with this back three. Um, he's, you know, was pretty forthright about certain players not moving club in terms of then affecting them actually playing at the tournament. And they, uh, yeah, they didn't move club and they haven't played. So, you know, he is a controversial kind of character. Um, but, you know, you'd, you'd have to say, I thought Ecuador were really good the other day. It took Holland till late to win uh, 2-0 prior to that as well um, against against Senegal. So, yeah, are they going to improve as the tournament goes on? I mean, you know, uh, I, I don't know. I think it's I think it's going to be... I, I just wonder how far... Look, they'll probably beat Qatar, right? But how far they will go in the in the tournament, it's, it's difficult to say. I mean, there's, there's no doubt Cody Gapko is a real star, right? I mean, he's, he is a real star, but... I, d- I don't know. La- last sixteen for for Holland, maybe that I think that might be. You know, maybe may, would they sneak the quarters? I'm not so sure. Uh, five three one zero six and on YouTube comments. Local punter has been in touch about favourite goals. Got to be Robbie Keane against Germany two thousand two. The school sports hall, limbs and chairs everywhere. Twenty years ago, woof. 
and uh, Patrick Cairns on YouTube 1990 Oman Biak winner and only goal versus Argentina this is Cameroon a uniquely Irish thing did you, did you get to watch football in your school when you were younger David and World Cup 90 and World Cup 94 would you, oh, if there was a game you know, on Jordan today would you, would you wheel out a video and I can't. I don't think so. I no. can't. To be honest, I can't remember. It's um, an Ireland thing. Yeah, we. The Welsh schools yeah. this week allowed their uh, kids to watch the Iran game. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think they did watch it at schools. My sons watched it at schools, but on the you know without the teachers knowing. Like even like <laughs> even qualifiers. Like- Michelle, nineteen eighty nine, Spain against Ireland, the own goal. We watched that in school. We yeah. were preparing for school plays. We're all in our costumes. Uh, <laughs> uh, watching uh, Republic of Ireland beat Wales at the the windiest Lansdowne Road. Uh, one nil, and they helped yeah. us to qualify for the 1990 World Cup. Johnny, do, I know they had the channels, uh, probably only two channels, but did they have the 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 did they wheel in the TV in Galway when you were young? Even even the terminology of wheeling in the TV, and every time I've heard this described, it is literally my childhood. They wheeled in the TV, and I don't know where the TV was the rest of the time because it was, we only had three rooms in the entire school. If it were wheeled into our room, where the hell, where where else was it for the other like ninety nine point nine 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 percent of the time where Ireland weren't playing an international at three o'clock at Lansdowne Road because we didn't have floodlights and they weren't on it. And I, I honestly remember like the buzz and the fact that like you actually sort of learned something in school that day because you were so motivated yeah. by the prospect yeah. of watching Ireland and uh, my abiding memory of, of that time JD was you always felt under Big Jack you always felt Ireland were going to equalise you always felt that they were going to that they were going to make uh, whoever they were playing against that it was going to be a draw or they were going to get a result and you always felt something was going to happen even after they went 1-0 down and um, it, it was literally I mean Imagine telling a kid we wheeled in the TV now. He'd be like, what are you talking about? We, we mount them on the wall these days. We, 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 air school, the, in fairness, they used to wheel them in for the qualifiers. Like, you know, yeah, when, when yeah. I can remember the Northern Ireland game that was on Jordan, the, the school at home. Oh, yeah. And they wheeled it in and you're like, here we go. And then another class would come in and the, I think it was the teacher's way of just having a relax. And <laughs> you were like, they'd sit with it and be like, you know, what do you think of him? And I'd be like, yeah, good player or... Yeah, like him, yeah. and you'd end up having conversations. And then I remember one of the teachers went to the return. I think he, he got a program for me for the night Alan McLaughlin scored. Right, in Belfast. Oh, yeah, yeah, Belfast. And he came in and he, he knew, like, your football daft. And he says, Here, got your program. Still have it? Yeah, uh, somewhere in the house. Yeah, Very good. A few old Barnsley ones. But, okay. Um, yeah, it was great, like, you know. Johnny, who's going to win the World Cup? They'll probably wheel Graham out now to the school just to show like what ex-pupils can become. You know, if you put your mind down to it, you can become a League of Ireland great and off the ball. Who's going to win the World Cup, JD? Spain. We'll ask you this next week again. You might have changed your mind. David Connolly, who's going to win the World Cup? France. And Graham Garland, who's going to win the World I'll Cup? I'll have to go with Brazil. And I'm, I'm going to go, European. I've got the casting vote. I'm going to go with Brazil as well, lads. So, uh, David and Johnny, thanks so much for speaking to us this afternoon. Football on Off The Ball. With Sky. Watch Premier League, Women's Super League, Scottish Premiership and much more. Live on Sky Sports.